Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so we have some things that we need to recap on before we get into the Q&A. Okay. Uh, we have lots of good questions this time. Um, really, not unlike last time. So the New York show on Six Music was off the charts. So that was a couple of weeks ago. That's Thank still you. available on the iPlayer. Yeah, yeah, you got that for another month or so. I think people can download it on their devices, right? Yeah, you can download it, and I think it's up for 30 days from the date of the show. So it's up for another couple of weeks, but that was just unreal. How did it feel doing it? I, I mentioned, like, I think when I kind of opened up the show, I put on like, the Escape from New York theme, and I wanted to just kind of let people know why and how I was being able to do it. And, you know, when I started out, I called everybody family, and I said I kind of have to think of everybody as family if I'm going to be able to do this show right and that's kind of how i feel in general when i do my radio shows i gotta love the people out there listening they don't have to love me you know it's, it's not a two-way it doesn't have to be a two-way street but doing it i had to really dig deep and i, I had a great time doing it i would have done a six-hour show if they let me everyone who was listening to it was definitely up for the extra three hours it was so good i could have listened to that all day thank you i appreciate it i had a lot of fun and it's kind of weird because everybody has their own idea of new york city through maybe friends going there or them going there and all that kind of stuff and what i thought was really cool was that most everybody that i was in touch with be that on like you know sms or social media or whatever or just texting in the, you know, emailing in the show. Everybody had stopped doing that. Hey, here we play this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that was great. And, and that doesn't happen, especially when you're a DJ on the radio. Everybody wants to hear their favorite song. And I get that. And I always tell people I'm not their iPad, you know. And that was one of the things that me being sarcastic and funny like that. I said it once, I think, during the show because someone just didn't get it. But for the most part, people were, like, interested in what was going on and didn't want to chime in. And I thought that, that kind of said something to... Uh, to the subject matter, you know, because a lot of times if you want to talk about New York City, I'm the fucking guy to talk to about New York City, you know. And yeah. I, I appreciated people actually letting me do that without trying to throw their inspiration in. Because I, I appreciate it being a two-way street with listenership and things. But I also remember when I was a kid and I'd listen to uh, DJs play sets at clubs, I wouldn't dare ask them for a request because I was there to learn, you know, in a lot of ways. I was there to hear mm -hmm. stuff I'd never heard before and kind of experience stuff that had never happened to me. I kind of appreciate when that happens to me every once in a while. It doesn't have to be all the time, but every once in a while, like last week was cool. That's awesome, yeah. It was, it was such a good show, so everybody needs to go check that out on the iPlayer. Break the iPlayer, player. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of New York, 
you are rocking your block party, which is your whole new brand, your whole new vibe around your DJ set, yeah, which is yeah. going down really well. Yeah, people are going off. Yeah, so you've done like Manchester, Cheshire, Leeds. Mm -hmm. Where else have you done? Uh, the, London, I've, only, right? I've only done three. I did a little bit of a, a gig on Friday in London, but that wasn't like a block party thing. That was like a little in between with the yeah. sound crash guys. But, uh, I mean, it's, they're going off, and we're doing one in Brixton coming up. We're doing, I think we're doing one in, in Dublin or like Belfast, yeah, um, I think Belfast. You have Newcastle, Aberdeen, yeah, yeah. South Sea, London, yeah. Chelmsford, and Leicester coming up from what I can see so far, but I know these gigs are coming in thick and fast. Well, yeah, it is. It's one of those things where I guess the impetus was me knowing what I'm really good at, which is playing New York music for people who want to get that vibe and also not seeing that represented anywhere. I'm not trying to say I'm some kind of marketing genius. There was a, there, my friend John, who's my agent, actually brought this to me and my wife and we're like, yo, you know, Huey could do this shit. And number one, I can have a good time. And when I have a good time, the byproduct is anybody around me has a good time. And that's kind of always been how I've been. So I get to, you know, also curate a night that people know what they're getting. And they're not going to get me dropping some kind of like house beat with a crazy rapper on top of it, like Dizzy Rascal or some crazy grime shit. It's going to be like good New York stuff that everybody will get and have a good yeah. time listening to. So it's been going great. I mean, people have been have been Leeds, we're off the hook. People in Manchester, we're off the hook. Uh, even in Chester, man, which you think, that was the first one I kind of tried it out. People was getting really live in Chester, you know, it was wild. <laughs> The small towns are where it's at. Oh, yeah, I know, I know that, man. I, the things I've learned over the last 20-some ideas in this racket is that you, when you hit the boondocks, the boondocks hit you back. For sure. So, yeah, everybody needs to check out the Block Party, too. So the most up-to-date gig listings are on the Facebook page, and we're launching a new website soon. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for those and get your tickets. Yeah, word up. It'll be fun. And you know that you're not going to have a screwed up night. Like if you get a, like I have kids and a wife, I get a babysitter and I plan for me and my girl to go out and it fucks up. I'm going to be pissed. That's kind of, I'm like, yo, come to the mm -hmm. block party. Everything will be all right. <laughs> Bringing 100% quality. <laughs> yeah, man. Quality control, man. I'm not going to let some dude come up there and fuck <laughs> around with you. Awesome. Okay, so let's move on to some Q&A. We have some really good questions on Twitter. Moderator's privilege. Before we get into that, I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. So I recently spotted you in Plan B's music video for Praying. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd had this little cameo as a convict. Yeah. The video is set in a prison. How did that come about? You know, we met Ben He went, right when he was coming up. He had that one record that blew up, right? And he was all over mm -hmm. the place. And they had uh, some TV show, and it was called Inspirations or something. I forget. Who's the Scottish girl? I worked with her. Uh, she was an MTV VJ for a while. She's doing a lot of... TV jobs, TV hosting. Uh, Edith, Edith Bowman, right? So she, Edith Bowman was doing it, right? Oh, so she was yeah. hosting the show. And we got a call from our management saying there's was a show that Plan B was like very inspired by Fun Love and Criminals. Would you guys come and play like, I think it was two songs in front of a, a live studio audience in London or whatever. And we were like, yo, sure. You know, that sounds really nice, right? Mm -hmm. We met the young man, Ben. He was really cool, uh, very nice to us. You know, was talking about how he used to when he was a young kid causing trouble, hang out and listen to Fun Love of Criminals music while he was doing that. So it was endearing, you know what I'm saying? I love dudes that, you know, listen to Fun Love of Criminals while being Fun Love of Criminals. I think that's kind of the idea of why we started making music. So, you know, we got to be a bit friendly and whatnot. And then he was like, to, he, I think he said to me and Frank, because Frank's in the video too. He said, hey, I'm doing a video. You guys want to come and do cameos? It would mean the world to me. 
And we were like, yeah, man, fuck it. You know, uh, sure, I lived in London at the time. Frank was like, anytime he'd go to a film set, Frank really enjoys seeing movies and videos being made, like, you know, the, just the aesthetic and things like that. It's really exciting for him. So, and me as well. So we were like, yeah, sure, we'll go down. And we hung out, and there was this uh, little scene that he wanted us to be in in the uh, visitor's room at a prison. And he was like, yo, I got these two special girls for you to be in the video with. I was like, what are you talking about? And there were these two, like, you know, 17, 18-year-old honeys or whatever that he wanted to be sitting across the table from me, like, pining for me because I was in jail or whatever. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's really realistic, man. Why, why don't I just get a regular girl and it's just like I'm having a regular thing? He was like, wow, yeah. I was like, because that's what life's about, man. It's not about, like, this weird pimps and hoes routine. He was like, okay, cool. So that's how I got being in that video. And Frank's in there, too, if you look around Oh, awesome. I didn't spot Frank. I'm going to go back and watch it. Okay, so let's move on to some questions from Twitter. Lovely. So, Colin Mitchell. Da, 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 congratulations, your question made it through. He said he is off to New York for his 50th. Can you recommend a good jazz club? Where's my beat? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, if you're going to get jazz clubs in, in New York, you, you can always just go to the Blue Note any night of the week. It doesn't matter wherever I'm at. Me and my wife have a night off. We go to Lucky Strike on Grand Street, uh, which is a nice little kind of French bistro we used to go to back in the day. We order sidecars, the steak au poivre, medium rare. We get fucked up. And then we walk up to 4th Street and go to the Blue Note. And no matter what's happening, it's the Blue Note, man. You're in the Blue Note. And if it really sucks, you can walk a couple blocks west on the Varick. Or 7th Avenue is the Village Vanguard, and that's usually dope, too. That's awesome. Personal tour guide information, Colin. Well done. Congratulations. And I don't think you need a reservation or Lucky Strike. Okay, quick fire question here, or maybe not, from the Hell Beings. I think they're kind of like a punk band from the UK. Parliament or Funkadelic? Both. <laughs> you know, I, I, do, I do enjoy people having their favorite George Clinton thing, but he's got a record out now that I've been playing on Six Music with him and Scarface from the Ghetto Boys. Goes, uh -huh. I'm going to make you sick of me. And the thing is, anything George Clinton does is mad George Clinton. So I appreciate him and all his endeavors, frankly. But if I had to choose, I'd say Parliament. Hmm. Just because okay, those, might be controversial. Let's well, I mean, you think Hell Beings. I think <laughs> what would be more controversial was the King podcast. Did anybody talk about that? Are they ignoring that me and King actually were like all woke up in that podcast? Oh, you know... I don't feel like we've had a lot of reaction around that on social media, and I was kind of surprised. We did get a very nice message on Twitter, though, from a woman who was really grateful that you, as guys, had spoken about that. It was really interesting for me to hear, actually. So just to recap for anybody who hasn't tuned in, and if you haven't, you need to first listen to this podcast, and then you need to go back and listen to the, <laughs> the ones we're about to talk about. So... Hugh did um, a two-parter with his friend King, and you talked all about the Me Too stuff, right? All the sexual assault, sexual yeah, harassment yeah. stuff. And it's really interesting point of view from you guys because you know a lot of these guys who are in the public eye yeah. who, are, who are being accused of this stuff um, and, and who also did it, not just accused of it. We got a really nice message on Twitter from a woman who was really grateful for, to like, have your voices in the mix. For me, the perspective was really interesting. I felt like maybe the only thing, the only part of the discussion that was missing for me was you and Kane talked about there's a difference between people getting catcalled in the street and 
maybe getting their ass squeezed at work or whatever and people who are full-on sexually assaulted raped abused that kind of thing well yeah there's degrees to people being assholes you know i mean it's like anything you know you can you can have something that's pretty mundane to something that's completely criminal but you can't say they're all the same thing it can't be mutually exclusive you can't say hey someone yelled hey nice ass to me in the street and then someone else says hey i was raped and then make them the same thing they're both sides of the same coin of dudes being assholes to women and yeah. that happens all the time to many degrees but i think i also mentioned in the podcast was men have to self-regulate men you can't go out there and be like the male feminist to be like oh you're all fucking terrible you have to go up and some to somebody while they're doing it and cuff them upside the head and be like motherfucker don't act like that yes it was maybe the only small piece that was missing from the discussion was you talked about the fact that this all this stuff is like on a sliding scale but it's the fact that men don't self-regulate themselves and don't regulate each other when it comes to stuff like catcalling or being inappropriate in the office with a colleague or whatever yeah. that it kind of builds this society and it builds this whole atmosphere where it's then okay to do more serious stuff mm-hmm. you know it's, it's the fact that men don't call themselves out and don't call each other out that allows people like Harvey Weinstein to exist and to do what he did to the extent that he did it for yeah. so long I think I understand where you're coming from in the respect that one door opened is an encouragement to reach for another doorknob, you know? And, yeah. and, and like, that's one of the things that, you know, when I grew up, right, it was in the seventies, right? So people always say, oh, it was different back then. People weren't politically correct, but I don't remember people being as bad. I don't think I remember men being as fucked up to women. It might've been more of a, uh, a behind closed doors kind of thing because I was younger, but I mm-hmm. remember like the cat calls and all that kind of shit. And, you know, remember I grew up in a neighborhood where women were not the wilting flowers that they may be now that, you know, they would be smacking dudes upside the head. You know, you didn't talk, <laughs> you didn't talk to women in a certain way. It was the respect that uh, I guess a certain generation of people had for women. You know, and you could talk yeah. about all oh, madmen. I was like, if you look at all the problems that are coming out of this, it's not the multicultural neighborhoods that everybody was kind of like talking about. It was like this mainly this very privileged white dude. You know, that everybody's kind of going after. I mean, you look at Harvey Weinstein. He's a perfect example of a dude who's never been lusted after. No chick looked at him and was like, I just want to lick his face. His po- I want to lick his pockmarked fat face. <laughs> oh, really? No, I, you, know, you know what I'm saying? So he, he, has to, he has to have some kind of like real horrible feelings towards the opposite sex. And there are women who have horrible feelings about, about men as well. And they do fucked up things to them. Everybody's weird in some degree. And I, I kind of agree with it that it seems that when people attain a certain, you know, maybe clubhouse standard with other dudes that they think they can say shit. I mean, there have always been knuckleheads in the world, but the fact that now knuckleheads, you know, they can join up with other knuckleheads and make little knucklehead clubs, I think might be the issue here. And certain people like to go to, to certain areas and socialize with certain people that think the same way as they do. That's just human nature. It's also, I think, more environmental than we think it is. But at the same time, it's gotten worse over the last 10 years, I think. What do you mean by it's more environmental? Well, you can't shame somebody who has no shame. Mm -hmm. So you can't say, hey, you know what? You're a fucking bad person for yelling at those girls in the street and scaring the fuck out of them, frankly, right? And the guy would be like, well, fuck you. I don't give a fuck. And the thing Mm -hmm. is, he doesn't give a fuck. So in this kind of like post-shame period that we're living in right now, there's no way to shame these dudes. So you have to take it to the next level. 
And that is what is going on now, where people are literally being called out and their livelihoods are being taken away from them. Because I remember back when I was in the Marines, if you wanted to fuck with a, a fucking corporal who was making like $400 every two weeks, you take his money and watch that corporal straighten the fuck up and then start acting squared away. You know, that's yeah. the idea when, what's going on now is people's livelihoods and are being taken away from them. I think there should be more due process. I don't think someone coming out on Twitter and be like, yo, yo, yo. And then next thing you know, someone's lost their job and their livelihood. That I think due processes should be happening. I think the benefit of the doubt obviously should be given to the person who is, says they're a victim. But at this, on the same at the same time, there's this kind of like victimhood thing that's going on a lot nowadays that's mm. allowing people to kind of, you know, not move in the right direction yeah it's the same with everything right you've talked about this so often when it comes to the whole world of social media and especially like twitter and all that stuff everybody wants everything to be black and white you have to fall on one side or the other it has to be yes or no right or wrong and actually the majority of life is just gray areas well you're exactly right you're completely right everybody wants to be a child again you know, we all yearn for the simplicity of childhood and the security of childhood where it was daytime or it was nighttime. You know what I mean? And that's great. And I kind of, I can understand why people do that. But yo, there's, that's no way to live your life. I mean, the whole supposition of life is life is suffering, right? And if you can make something not suck really bad, you're off to a great start. I think in the last generation, we've been given so much comfort that we forget that life is suffering. And then when we actually do suffer a little bit, we almost have to over-emotionalize stuff. You know, like people say that anxiety, when you feel anxious about something, it's bad. No, it's mm-hmm. not bad, it's a part of life. You're a human yeah. being, you experience anxiety, you experience fear, you experience joy, you experience sadness, suffering, mm-hmm. all these things are human uh, emotions and we treat them with drugs now. So if someone's too yeah. anxious, they take drugs not to be anxious. Well, maybe they're fucking anxious for a reason. Maybe they're fucking sad for a reason, you know. And we we treat the anxiety, not the reason. We treat the yeah, we treat the symptom, you know. So the thing is, like, so the person doesn't actually uh, look inside themselves as to what is making them anxious or sad or whatever. And if they do, they always think that it can be cured. But the thing is, the the human being is is super complex and very crazy, emotionally unstable for a reason. And when you Mm -hmm. stabilize someone. When you kind of like take the highs and the lows out, you have this weird fucking middle ground, and then you almost have to fake emotion to feel emotion. Mm-hmm. Tom Wally was talking about that, T-Bone from my radio show. We always have these really good talks. I'm trying to get him to do a pod, because he's really a bright guy. He's got great insight, and we talk about the fucking craziest stuff during the songs <laughs> at the radio show. I should almost do one there and just turn the little uh, recorder on when we're out during a song and we start talking. Come on, Tom, get on the pod. Yeah, yeah, we'll get him up there, man. Those podcasts were really interesting. It was really awesome, the two that you did with King, to get that male perspective on the whole Me Too thing. And I had no idea, actually, when I, when I put those out, how it was going to go. I was like, I honestly can't tell if this is really controversial or not, if people are going to get upset about this or not. The kind of reaction that we did have was pretty positive. And it was really great to hear two guys actually having a conversation because it's like I think it's like two hours worth of conversation on it mm. and it needs that much discussion and the rest that shit is not tweetable yeah no absolutely and you know yeah. I, you know I think we've been incrementally uh, moved to expect something to be concise in 140 characters when you can't you said life is not black or white there's so much gray there so there's so mm. many ways you can 
add nuance and all those things I think are lost on Twitter. Twitter's great for what it is, just to, to troll people and yell and scream and be an asshole. Because, I mean, you see the worst of how humans really act. Yeah, there's some crazy shit going on, man. And I'm not a big fan of Twitter because I, I think a lot of smart people are trying to convey ideas. The presentation of the idea is not so smart. And I think when you go mm -hmm. for the lowest common denominator and you try to, like, you know, be, be real, all things to everyone, you lose it, and people just don't accept stuff like that anyway. People don't want to learn. They want to be told that what they believe is right. You know, that's a shame. Yeah, and people, people don't want to listen. They want to talk. Oh, they, yeah, you yeah. know, they want to react, and Twitter is really... I feel like the platform for that. It's really difficult to have a, a deep and meaningful on there. Well, that's not what it's for, I don't think. I think it was essentially, you know, it was like Craigslist for people to try to sell rugs and shit like that. <laughs> don't go anywhere. Stay locked on Huey Off The Record. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. But wait, there's more. And the one thing I do love about Twitter is the fact that Donald Trump is trolling literally everyone in the world with this fucking thing. And it's just, you could see people just get so triggered and freak out about, you just see the news people like frothing, like we tweeted this, and they feel bad because they have to report on it. And I imagine that must suck being someone who went to school for eight years to learn how to be a journalist, and then all you gotta do is read the president's tweets and, you know, and just have a fucking horrible day. But I think that's what the funny part about it is, where it's now went from, some fucking social experiment on a, on a computer to the way the leader of the free world <laughs> addresses the world, man. Oh, crazy. Gosh, yeah, which he's really not meant to be doing, but he's still yeah, kind man. of doing it anyway. I must say, what well, I think one of my favorite things about Twitter, honestly, is the fact that people get to troll Donald Trump back, which is really funny to kind of watch as you say, the leader of the free world get into these, like, yeah. schoolyard scraps with people. This is a weird theory, but I think the way people look at Twitter and the way Donald Trump looks at Twitter are very different. I think most people look at Twitter going, I'm going to tweet what re I really fucking care about. That's something I have to get off my chest and the world needs to know it. 
And Donald <laughs> Trump is like, he has a day at the office being the leader of the free world, doing all this shit behind the scenes that we don't seem to care about. And then he goes, all right, let me go fuck with somebody. And he picks up the Twitter. I don't think he's as from the heart on Twitter as everybody else in the world is, and it fucks with everybody's head. They're like, well, why isn't he talking about this? Why isn't he talking about that? And he's just like done with doing all the heavy lifting, being a president. Now he's just fucking with some dude on, on CNN because he calls him fake news or some shit. It's, it's just hilarious. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. it's better than I felt, like Netflix. I don't feel like he's that considered and that smart personally, but I do agree. I don't think he considers anything really. I don't think he considers Look, really anything that he puts up seriously. I think he just, it's like, it's almost like there's a little bee in his brain and it's just whatever is going around, whatever's right there in that moment, that's what he's going to tweet out and he tweets it and then he's forgotten about it. But yeah, like you say, the rest of the world is operating on a different yeah, standard it, to him. It, it, well, that's the whole idea. And I know yeah. by no I'm by no means defending the man. He could do that shit himself, you know? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I think we, as the rest of the world, aside from him, underestimate him. Do you think, oh, he's just some fucking knucklehead who larked his way into the leader of the free world? <laughs> Now, before he was doing this, just keep in mind, I know people are like, yeah, 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 he was a, he was a, a billionaire, you know, a land developer on a TV show, firing people. Okay, if you can, I guess, you know, minimalize what he did over the last 60 years, 70 years of his life to, he was on a TV show and he was a developer in America, then you've underestimated him. I think that's where he has the last laugh. I really think he's like this New York dude who is just smarter than people give him credit for. He's doing deals that people don't understand are happening, and he's using everybody's Trump derangement syndrome against them. And I, I think he's more considered than people are giving him credit for. And the fact that you can think that some dumbass motherfucker, which everybody thinks of him as, kind of walked his way into the White House, I, I just think that that's a little bit silly. And he's playing everybody. Here, yeah, I feel like we need well, we agree to disagree on that one. I'm, I'm just like an English liberal snowflake over here. No, that, no, no that's Pat. cool. That's cool. I, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that we need to agree on it. I just think that he's not as dumb as everybody thinks he is. And if, to think that he's that dumb, like he's as dumb as the guy at the corner store sitting out front selling pencils with drool coming out of his mouth. You're wrong. He's smarter than that. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm not saying I'd like to hang out with him or I agree with things that he does. I think he, frankly, would be is better than Hillary Clinton would have been. When you ask for the lesser of two evils, you get Donald Trump. You painted some really good pictures in the last few minutes of talking. So we've had Twitter was just meant to be Craigslist for selling your rugs on. Donald That's Trump's it. not as dumb as you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, let's get back to Q&As because otherwise we'll just do this forever. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to paraphrase this question a little bit. This is from Simon Bees. He wants to know what would be your super group with any musician from history? So we're going dead or alive here. Uh... It would be Prince Hendrix, Stevie Wonder, John Bonham. That would be the band. So you'd have Jimi Hendrix on lead guitar. Also, you'd have Prince on vocals uh, and lead guitar and maybe bass, because Prince could do everything. Then you have Stevie Wonder, who could pretty much do everything as well, also singing. And then you have John Bonham. I know people are going, oh, he's not the best drummer in the world, but just add that kind of perspective. That, that, that would be actually really cool to have a drummer who was just smacking it the fuck out. But I also thought he was funkier than a lot of people give him credit for. I'll be the guitar tech. Okay. <laughs> I'll tune the guitars. Awesome. I'll roll the joints and tune the guitars. I love it. So Drew wants to know, why do the Ramones matter? 
Well, I mean, go outside and look at look at the teenagers, man. Ninety percent of them look like they walked out of a Top Shop ad. I'm talking anybody anywhere in the world now, right? So they got the little jeggings and the oversized kind of puffer jackets and and like the weird t-shirts and baseball hats with no brim bend. That's how kids look. And then you see the kind of the ten percent weird kids with the tight jeans and the Converse and the leather jackets. That's a uniform. That's a uniform of the counterculture since the fifties. The biker jacket, the skinny jeans. The Chucks, that's something that was big in the 50s, going into the 60s, and then the flower power came, right? But in New York City, New York City wasn't all like San Francisco. It was dark. It was nasty. I talk about it a lot in my book, right? And out of that came, they had, they had greasers, right, which were like the precursor to the Ramones. There were guys that wore those jackets and the T-shirts and kind of were doing that thing. And they were listening to like Phil Spector kind of music and rocking it that way. That was a serious criteria in American society where you have these people that were post-war. This is how you got the Hells Angels. There were guys that were in the military that when they got out of a fucking war zone, were like, I can't go back and be Ward Cleaver. And this mm-hmm. counterculture in America was created and they wore leather jackets and they wore dungarees because they were comfortable and they didn't work in an office and they got tattoos and they rode motorcycles and they listened to doo-wop music and early rock and roll music and that was it. And they, they hung out with, you know, people who weren't just like them and things got a little different. Now, that was passed along to the Ramones, right? And they picked that thing up and that's Queens. That's not Manhattan, you know, cosmopolitan motherfuckers. It's Queens out in the middle of nowhere. You're wearing your dad's jacket kind of thing, right? You know, working class, Jewish, Italian, European, mid-century immigrants to New York City, right? What mm-hmm. do they have in common at that point? The fact that they weren't part of the white culture in, in New York City and music, popular music, that music mm-hmm. that everybody listened to in the 50s, early 50s and stuff, in the 60s. So that went into the Ramones. The Ramones were the fuel that kept that fire burning and it's still burning off of them. If you think about how the counterculture was affected by music, you just have to look as far as the Ramones go, man. I mean, th- their music was concise. It was still that that very uh, melodic pop stuff, but it transcended class and race and all that type of stuff. And it made New York City, it made it made the grime pretty. You know, like there's this book that Didi Ramone wrote about him living at the Chelsea Hotels, like this hotel hell or some shit like that. And it's, he gets fucked up on crack and, and he's smoking it in the basement and all of a sudden the ghost of Johnny Thunders comes out, who's in the New York Dolls, who died of a heroin overdose, and they start smoking crack together and having full-blown conversations, you know? And you think, this is really representative of the beat poets of the late 50s, you know? I'm sorry, the early 50s even, you know? Like you have Ginsburg and those guys. And this was the pseudo-reality of the counterculture. And I think that's what's important, that, that this stuff, this kind of almost fringe intellectual New York vibe was kept alive by some fucking guys called the Ramones. That, their name wasn't even Ramon. They weren't even Italian. That's awesome. That was a beautiful answer. Yeah. A big up to your book as well, because I felt like if anybody just enjoyed those last couple of minutes like lecture on New York music history, you definitely need to check out Huey's book. It's a genuinely such a good book. And, um, and Joe, for lazy people, they can listen to the audiobook. Oh my God. And I love audiobooks. And you have the voice. You have the voice for it. It's I, perfect. Yeah. yeah. I, I, when I did it, I charged myself a lot of money to do the book. So I did a really good job. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a super, super cool book. So I, I highly recommend it for anybody that wants to know more. Didn't that kind of pull us together? That's what that's how we met was over the book, wasn't it? 
Yeah. Great stuff, Joe. Yeah, so uh, I'm a true advocate. Next up, we have James Wynn Stanley, who wants to know which song are you most proud of and why? Of a song that I wrote? Yes. I imagine, right? Uh, yeah. I'm proud of I'm proud of the ones that my little boy likes. Uh, what does he really like? He likes he likes Scooby Snacks. He asks me to play that a lot when we have guitar time. So uh-huh. when we both grab guitars, he says, play Scooby Snacks, Dad. And I'm proud because my own blood like it. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. like, he's my little boy and he likes that song. So I'm proud of that one, I guess. And also that one got me the uh, the frequent flyer card for Rockstar. So that's actually good. That was the one that kind of got me in there. People still to this day talk about that song. So that is a timeless anthem. Yeah, man. I had, if I had known at the time, I would have wrote more of them. I think one of the most popular videos that we post online is the 1999 Blasto set, um, Scooby Snacks, right at the end of your set. Unreal. And you can see the joy on your face, actually, is what is just so visceral about that whole thing. Like, you've got this sea of people just moving as one, and the joy on your face is like you can barely contain it. It's crazy. That was the first time that kind of shit happened. Well, it was the first time we played Glastonbury. Yeah. And, and that shit doesn't happen that much anymore. I mean, you, sometimes you see people bug out to Coldplay like that. But, yo, that, I mean, we were playing. Lenny Kravitz had played right before us. And then Skunk and Nancy were going to close the stage, the main stage. And it wasn't called the Pyramid Stage that year. It was called the Main Stage. Mm-hmm. And, man, yeah, we didn't know what to expect, man. And then people started. And that, I don't know if Scooby Snacks was at the end of the show, was it? I don't really fucking remember because it was all, um, like, it was a blur. I think at, at the end of the video, you seem to be saying like, "Have a good night, everyone." Like, travel safe. So either it was the last song or like second to last song. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, that song would have been a great song to end with. But in '99, I'm trying to think. That was when when we we saw we had a hundred percent Colombian out. So yeah, we might have closed with it, or we might have closed with the Barry White joint, "Love Unlimited." Mm-hmm. I don't know. Whoever has the set list, man, maybe they could tweet that shit. Oh, yeah. Anybody who has the 99 following criminals Glasto set list, please tweet that out. Yeah. We want to know. <laughs> so, Neil Coffley wants to know, in good contrast to the Glastonbury set of 99, what is the hardest gig you've ever played? We played a gig with this band called Live. And they were like big in the mid 90s in America. I don't know if they broke over here at all. And they were like kind of like this nerd rock band, but the dude was like this kind of weird kind of singer guy called Ed. And they had some radio hits, you know, they had that shit going on and we were opening up for them. And we went out there and it was at this pretty big place in, where was it? it was in Pennsylvania somewhere, where I think they were from. We did our first song and it was like maybe like three people clapped, but it was like a packed hall. And people were like, rrr, 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 just talking. We were like, holy shit, this is not going to go well. And then literally someone screamed out, nigger music. And we looked oh. at each other. We were like, oh, my God, what the fuck is happening? Why are we yeah. here? So, yeah, we, we played, I think, another half a song. And then it was just like, you know, middle fingers towards us. And we were like, all right, we we just stopped. And I remember leaving the, the stage. I, I kind of just like, let's just get out of here, man, because there are more of them than there are of us, right? So it don't matter how angry we are, man. And uh, their tour manager was like, get the fuck back on stage, right? And I said, did you just hear what they said, man? You hear what they see what they're doing? He was like, yeah, get the fuck back out there. I was like, nah, man, it doesn't work like that. This is not, you know, this is not how we do. And he got really angry and he almost got got. 
So, I mean, that was a whole weird time, too. But that was probably the hardest gig because I always thought that playing music wasn't like some kind of weird uh, football hooligan kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, why would you get so fucking upset as to... I can understand you're not clapping. I've been in situations we've not gone down well. And that's just what it is, man. But when people start getting hostile towards you, and the obvious feeling is to get all like, yo, well, fuck you too. But we're not some little punk band from San Francisco. When we get angry, shit actually goes really south. So we try to get out of there. So that was the hard part, leaving and getting out of there with people not fucking us up. That's really weird. I think I don't get that. Like, why so offended? Yeah, it was like, you know, it wasn't, wasn't like we were even playing that much of offensive shit. It, either for, for, I think the first song was like The Grave and a Constant, where it's just a nice little cool jam to kind of break yeah. the ice, because we knew what we were doing and who we were playing to. It was like yeah. some redneck Pennsylvania motherfuckers, but still, I figured we get maybe 10, 15 people in there that would like it by the end. But maybe, yeah, it's like they just wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. We don't want to be exposed to anything new. Yeah, I mean, we had the opposite experience when we opened up for U2 at football stadiums around the Americas, right? Because mm-hmm. that was like, you know, you rock, roll out there and half the stadium of, of 120,000 are like really enjoying what you're doing. That's crazy. Yeah. That was a great experience. But that, once again, is that's why I always say that, you know, the shame thing is really big nowadays for me. And when, when you, you can't expect people to act right anymore. That's why we can't have nice things. <laughs> yeah, it feels like there's, on the one hand, a lack of shame, and on the other hand, an extreme of shaming going on. But like you said earlier, the people who don't want to feel shame, it doesn't really matter how much you try and shame them. It's just not yeah, that you got that right. It's, called, it's like the hip-hop thermometer. That's what I always call it. You look at, like, good hip-hop, and then you look around society at that time, it was very inspiring. Yeah. And so when hip-hop started, right, people were trying to communicate ideas to one another, yeah. you know, and at the same time being braggadocious and stuff. Now it's it's like professional wrestling. I don't even I don't even know who's who. I don't even know who raps. I mean, some guy, I don't know if he's a rapper. This, this kid, this kid, what's his name, Little Pump? He yells Gucci Gang and, and some other word over and over and over and over again over a really bad beat, and he's got, like, he's in the charts. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, I understand, like, you know, imagine what my mother thought of the clash when they first came out. Like, what the fuck is that noise? But this is, like, just nonsensical. It's almost autistic ranting. It's weird. <laughs> I have not heard that. And from your description, I'm glad. Yeah, word. You know, your life's better. With I, I was diminished as a person when I listened to that. <laughs> your life quality just went down. Yeah, it just, I was like, I'll never be better. I'll never be that again. <laughs> So, next question from Ross Williams. He wants to know if you weren't a musician, DJ, and all-around coolest guy on the planet, which direction do you think life would have taken you? Right when the band got signed, I had put my uh, application into the New York Fire Department. Probably, I would have been a fireman. I would have loved to do, yeah. There you go. You could, you could be, do crazy shit when you were a fireman. Anyway, back in the day, when I was growing up, the firemen were better than cops. They were the crazy motherfuckers. They'd run into burning buildings. They'd drink. They were like amazing hero dudes. That's why I was like, yo, I can still be a crazy person and be a fireman. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And you may have even have ended up on a calendar. You could have been Mr. August. Well, yeah, I had a friend of mine who actually went to the academy, and he didn't make it out of the Twin Towers. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, God bless. You know, by the grace of God, go I, you know. Our final question from the Twitter sphere today uh, from Dean Kedwood. I kind of links in a little bit to the last one. He says, how does the Marines change your life? 
Well, in ways that wouldn't take an hour to talk about. I mean, if you just look at, or if I just look at the person I was before I went to Paris Island, which is boot camp down there. You get off a bus and you got to stand on these yellow footprints, a couple hundred of them right there off the bus. And you're like, they're painted on the ground. And you just realize that as special as you think your mama thinks you are, you're just like every other guy. It really grew me up within maybe 30 seconds, just the way my mind started thinking differently. I, I wasn't my mother's son anymore. I was my own man. And that's a weird, I mean, I probably didn't know it as articulately as I just put it back then, but I knew that something had seriously changed in the way I perceived myself in the world and my place in the world. And I knew that as many people do who... Uh, <clears throat> choose to serve their country, right? You like to think that the country's worth serving. When you do become a Marine, it's a very special thing. For me, it was very special. It was an accomplishment of a lifetime, really, that I mastered so many things that I didn't even have a clue existed 12 mm -hmm. weeks beforehand, you know what I'm saying? So I don't think I would have gone after life the way I do now if I hadn't have been a Marine. What age were you when you went in? I was young enough to still think about being a kid. The thing is, I I guess when you get to a certain, I don't want to, I don't want to say which age, because it's weird, because I have kids now, and I don't, I don't know if what I went through was something I would wish on my kids even, even though I think I turned out okay, right? Mm -hmm. But now it seems, I don't know, young people don't think about their own place in the world they, as much as they think of how other people see them in the world. Mm -hmm. That distinction is really important. You have to understand that it's an older guy's perspective that I have now. So when I think about ages, you know, I mean, I was in my teens, my late teens, but I could have been, when I hang out with kids that are they're 15, I could have been 15, I could have been 14, you know what I mean? Because they're, they're so grown up and mature and savvy and smart now at such mm -hmm. a young age. I almost think that if they did try to go into some kind of national service at such a young age, it, it maybe wouldn't benefit them. You know, I think that maybe young people should try to be more self-reliant earlier on in their lives, but they have to do it with some kind of structure, you know, because I think knowing that you're part of a society and you have social responsibilities is something that I think kids can learn younger now and may not have to, you know, learn how to shoot a rifle and kill motherfuckers like Marines do. Because mm -hmm. essentially, that's what Marines do. Every every Marine is a rifleman and rifles shoot the enemy. And that's when people say, well, what? why wouldn't you want your kid to be a Marine? Because I, I don't know if, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things I don't know. I got what you're saying. I definitely had some experiences that I think I, I value them immensely and they make me the person that I am. Mm -hmm. But I think of them just from a slightly older perspective. If I had children, would I want them to go through the same thing? Yeah, you don't. You know, I think, I think I always come back to the thing of like, I would want them to have those experiences, but I almost just, as long as I kind of didn't know about them, actually. As a parent, I think that's just terribly worrying. But knowing that really people, if you bring them up well, do tend to come out of the other side of challenges and trying times and dangerous situations. An individual, when they find their place in the world or realize their place in the world, because it's maybe find your place in the world is a little more esoteric. But you, if you realize who you are, what you want to be and where you are and how impermanent, I should say, it's stress youth and tenacity so, seem to be with people in general because you see people hit a certain age and they're kind of their their drive kind of levels off you know what i mean and i think young people think that that's going to be there forever like opportunity will be there forever and they have time i think if anything i don't want to rush kids to grow up but, to, but at the same time i want them to realize that 
it's always good to strike while the iron's hot. Mm-hmm. To hesitate to chase your dreams is something that I would encourage people not to do. Just because life is so impermanent and youth, as we all know, that we and as we get farther and farther away from youth, you realize, oh wow, man, I wish I could use I could use that now that I have all this experience. But that's the that's one of the, the I guess the bittersweet parts of growing old and, and being a human being is that you realize things that maybe you can teach to your children. And I think that's always the the thing that I kind of always take these lessons as is teaching moments or teaching opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely one of the bittersweet ironies of life yeah. is that when you have the, the beauty and the energy and the drive to do it, you don't necessarily always have the wisdom to pull it off. And when you have the wisdom to pull it off, you yeah. don't necessarily have the beauty and the energy and the drive that <laughs> would make it as successful. Yeah, I mean, so that, there's a good yeah. window. Most Some people have this like this like sweet spot of maybe like 10 or 15 years where that is the case. I'm not saying it's, yeah. like, it's like a month and then you're fucked, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, there's a month. May, May 2018, you got May, and then it's going to level off, son. (laughs) Strike while that iron is hot. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Okay, thank you so much, Huey. I feel like this is a super cool episode. We had really good questions as well. Thank you so much to everybody who sent in the questions. Next time we do a QA, and a we'll give you a shout out on Twitter. It's really good to hear from everybody. And yeah, check it out. I think next pod up is going to be Ricky Gervais. <laughs> so who? Who? that's dropping who? hot. What guy? Who? Who? Oh, yeah. Who's that? Who's that? Oh, Rick, uh, Ricky, man. Yeah, no, yeah. He he's a good dude, man. I love talking to him. Yeah, you guys always <laughs> have awesome chemistry on the pod. So, yeah, I've heard the previews. Um, so producer's privilege. Yes. So, yeah, definitely check that one out. Thank you so much, everyone. And uh, rate, review, and subscribe, of course. And, uh, yeah, we'll chat again soon, Huey. Yes, Joe. Thank you very much. And everybody out there, thank you for listening. And stay classy. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.